singing a lot of times we sing songs we don't think about the words a lot of times we're so used to singing them but you know I can remember I haven't lost a whole lot of family members here on this earth but I can remember those times when we knew it's getting close and you know you've heard about death and how people died and it seems so violent at times but I've seen the other side of it when, when the child of God goes home it's total difference there's a calm. And the ones I've been involved, there's a calm, there's a peace. Because it's settled. It's settled a long time ago. And they're just waiting to just escort them on over to the other side. It's, it's not a big deal for them, but to us, it seems like it's a big deal. But I'm looking forward to the time. Not the, just the fact that we're going to see Lord Jesus Christ, but I get to see those that are already over there. And I wonder what it's going to be like. They've already been there for a while, you know. But the other thing I'm thinking about, too, if I can just share with you, the fact is that you've seen what's going on. Signs of the times are telling us right now. How much longer can it be? You know, I think the choir, we said this before, I can actually just, I can see the choir getting in place and everybody just sort of getting still, just waiting for that music to start, you know, and God says, go get your children. And that choir says, here we go, you know, and the curtain pulls up and here it comes. We're just welcomed into glory. But I want you to think about these words and think about what God's got for us and what's in store. Folks, what would it be like to be a Christian not knowing you had a place to go? What if we thought this was all there was to life? Boy, how fruitless this would be. But Jesus Christ paved the way for us. Listen to this. A silence fear The city of love For the armies of angels With all of their minds are patiently waiting to gather his bride. He's coming to take me home. The bell in the tower, they no longer Heaven's choir stands silent. They're waiting to see everything's ready for the bride and the king. He's coming to take me
Thank you. Let's all stand tonight. As the choir comes down, there's a land that is fair and day. That's your opportunity to get out and shake hands with everyone. Make everyone feel welcome. Not friend or foe, whoever get out there. Make them feel welcome tonight. get your songbook page 468 get your book don't wait for the chorus 468 
may be seated, let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And as they do so, let me remind you, next Sunday, the Warren family will be with us. You'll enjoy them as they minister to us through the day. And then, of course, I want to remind you that at the end of this month, we have our final fifth Sunday of the year. And our goal when we started in August was to reach $100,000, and we are well on target of, of doing so. But I want you to start thinking about giving a special gift on this fifth Sunday, and, and I know the Lord will bless it. And then I guess I'm supposed to announce this. There's, of course, there's a fellowship after service for my wife. She reminded me this morning that I didn't say anything about this morning, so I won't say something about it tonight. She has a birthday tomorrow. And uh, so we have a fellowship for her afterwards, and I know you love and appreciate Sherry. This is one of the reasons I love you folks so much is the way you have loved our family. And so you're all invited next door after the service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for how you're leading and guiding. Thank you, Lord, how you're meeting needs, how you're opening doors, how, Lord, that you just amaze us every day as your plan unfolds and we see all you're doing. Father, I pray you would bless now the giving of the people of God that we might do more for you and we give to you that your work might be expanded. So bless the giving tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life for Calvary To save for me in glory. 
go away and you know every time that I pictured Jesus just holding me all my fears just passed and here lately I've found myself doing that quite a bit <laughs> and I heard somebody sing this song and I wanted to sing it and it's called Hold Me Oh. 
What a wonderful thought. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew 27. The book of Matthew chapter 27. And we'll look at one verse. Would you stand as we honor the reading of his word? Matthew 27. Notice verse 46. Matthew 27 verse 46. This is the fourth recorded cry of the Lord from the cross. Matthew 27, 46, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Again, this is the fourth cry of our Lord from the cross. And the fourth cry is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Thank you, you may be seated. And tonight we're going to look at this fourth cry of the Lord from the cross. And we're going to notice what the cross really means to the believer tonight, what the cross was all about. There's seven cries, two divisions of three, right in the middle is this cry. This tells you what the cross is all about. In the first cry, he reached up for man. In the second cry, he reached out to man. And in the third cry, he reached down to man. But this cry tells us what it's all about, why he died. Let's look at it tonight. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Calvary, the proof of your love the demonstration of your love. We thank you tonight, Lord, for all that the cross means to us as a believer. 
And as we gather here tonight, would you take these next few moments and would you help me and would you honor yourself through me? And I pray tonight, help us to come to an appreciation, if it's not there, of what the cross means to us as a believer or should mean to us. And help us tonight to be reminded of why Calvary, why there was a Calvary and what it is all about. So speak to us tonight. Let us see you in this fourth cry and we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you read the book of Psalms, there is an interesting trilogy of Psalms that reflects upon this cry tonight. That is Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24. In Psalm 22, you have the good shepherd on earth dying for his sheep. In Psalm 23, you have the great shepherd in heaven risen and living for his sheep. In Psalm 24, you have the chief shepherd in glory returning for his sheep. Now, when you think about Psalm 22 in that trilogy, you have the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd, and all of those you find in the New Testament. But in Psalm 22, it begins with these words. Psalm 22, 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? And when you look at Psalm 22, you find a prophecy or a foresight into the sufferings of the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. But it is interesting that that trilogy of Psalms begins with this fourth cry from the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Three of the cries from the cross we've already considered. The first one was when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second we considered was when he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, speaking to the thief. And then last Sunday night we thought about his words to Mary and the disciple John, Woman, behold thy son, and disciple, behold thy mother. In the first three, we view the sufferings of our Lord through human eyes. But when you come to the fourth cry of the cross, you see the sufferings of our Lord from a divine perspective. You see, there's something interesting about this cry that separates it from all others. In fact, I think about what Neil Frazier said in his book about this cry. He said, here is where we tread, if we tread it all with unshod feet. Here we must beware of sacrilegious curiosity and unholy intrusion. What he meant in that statement is that this is something special. This cry is unique. It's separated from all the others. You see, the cry, the fourth cry that we read a moment ago was a cry that came at the end of three hours of darkness. It was a cry that came at the end of three hours of silence. You see, there was the third three cries we've already considered, but then darkness settled over the cross. And for three hours, there was no cry from the cross. I'm sure there was the groans and the moans of the thieves beside him. And I'm sure you could hear the chatter of the soldiers below him and the murmur of the crowd around him. But from Christ, there was not one word. For three hours, there was darkness. And for three hours, as far as the Bible, the pages of the Bible are concerned, their lips have been sealed and our eyes have been shielded. 
what he, what he went through during those three hours, we've not been permitted to see. We've not been allowed the privilege to see what his agony was like during those three hours. As the songwriter said, none of the ransom ever knew how deep were the waters crossed in those particular three hours. Again, it's a, per, a time at the cross we're not permitted to view. But the silence is suddenly broken. Three hours of darkness and three hours of silence are suddenly broken when Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Alama Sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The words Eli, Eli, Alama Sabachthani are actually an English transliteration of the Greek and that coming from Aramaic. And it simply interpreted means my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What does this cry mean to us tonight? I wonder tonight how many of you are saved. Would you lift your hand high there just as a testimony to the Lord? Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? And aren't you glad that your salvation was free? It was yours to receive by faith. Salvation does not require one thing from us except our coming to God. Salvation doesn't demand any kind of gift. It doesn't de de demand any kind of life. It is something that is given to us absolutely free. It has been offered to us. It is by grace, through faith, and not of works. We come to Him. It is something that is given to us free. But I want to remind you tonight that even though it is free, it was the most costly thing that was ever bought. You see, it's free for me, and it's free for you. All we have to do is take it. But I want you to realize that it was bought at a tremendous sacrifice. And it was bought at a tremendous cost. And when you come to this fourth cry in Matthew 27, you see the depths of the cost of our salvation. Here we're able to see and to come to some understanding of what it costs the Lord Jesus Christ to purchase my salvation and to purchase your salvation. This fourth cry is the cry that should draw us to, uh, to his feet in deep appreciation. It is the cry that should lay us before his feet with adoring hearts. So what do we see in this cry? I want to point out three things that I see in this one cry and I find in verse 46 of Matthew 27. And I want to point these things out. All that Jesus was on the cross. The first one being this. When I look at this cry and look at our text, I see Jesus becoming our sacrifice. I see the Lord Jesus becoming our sacrifice. Notice again, Matthew 27, 46. Notice the scripture said that it was the ninth hour or about the ninth hour that Jesus cried with a loud voice. Now that is interesting. I do believe that the Bible, there is never anything put in the Bible that is not put there for a reason. In fact, I was reading the paper today about a church in our city uh, that uh, instead of using the Bible, they happen to be using the hillbillies, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. But anyway, I read a statement made with the pastor, and he talked about how Jesus exaggerated a lot. Well, that made my blood boil just a little bit. I want you to understand something tonight. Jesus never exaggerated. He may have illustrated, but he never exaggerated. And the Bible never exaggerates. Anything you find in the Bible is put there for a reason. The Bible said that it was about the ninth hour. And when you look and trace the ninth hour through the Bible, you find that that is, a, that is a significant hour. The ninth hour to us would be three o'clock in the afternoon. And the ninth hour in the Bible, three o'clock in the afternoon to us, was the hour of the evening sacrifice. 
That's when the priest would bring the lamb to be offered for sin. That's when they would bring the evening offering and it would be offered to God and offered and following the system of the sacrifices. It was the hour of sacrifice. And so when we find Jesus at the ninth hour beginning to cry out to God, we see him becoming our sacrifice. Now what does it mean, Jesus becoming our sacrifice? Well, for one thing, you must realize that there is the guilt of man. There is the guilt of man. The only reason there ever was a sacrifice was because man was guilty. There would have never been a lamb that it would have died in the Old Testament if it had not been for man's sin. Every little turtle dove that died, every little lamb that died, every bullock that died, every offering that was given, and all the blood that was shed was shed because of the guilt of man. You see, there was man's sin. Man was separated from God from the very beginning of time. And so there is the guilt of man. But in the sacrifice, you not only see the guilt of man, but you see the grace of God. Do you realize tonight that God, when man disobeyed him and man sinned, that God didn't have to save man? Do you realize that tonight, that God didn't have to do one thing to save man from his hell? God didn't have to come down. He didn't have to send his son. He didn't have to set up a sacrificial system. He gave Adam and Eve a home and plainly warned them of the consequences of their sin. Yet they disobeyed God anyway. God wouldn't have had to done one thing to be God. He could have been just and let them die in their sins and went to hell and the whole generation afterwards. But aren't you glad that he's not only a just God, he's a loving God. For you find in the sacrifices, you find the grace of God being manifested. You have the sacrificial system where God was providing a way that man's sin could be atoned for. I think about a story that I read one time, and I think I've told you here before a couple of times, but a great story. H.A. Ironside was visiting a sheep farm one time. And he visited a sheep farm and he said he was watching the sheep there, looking at the sheep, and he saw the most unusual looking sheep that he'd ever saw in his life. He said it looked like it had four legs. And he said he just stood there staring at it. And finally the owner said, he said, said to him, I guess you're wondering about that sheep. And he said, yes, I am. It's a very r- unusual looking sheep. He said, well, let me tell you the story. He said we had a mother lamb, or you, whatever you would call it, that died. She had a little baby had a little lamb, the mother died, leaving the lamb. But over here we had a mother's lamb that died. So we had a lamb without a mother and a mother without a lamb. So we thought we would put the two together and it would take care of the problem. But she said when we brought the two together, that mother smelt that little lamb and then started pushing it away and would walk off from it as if to say, that's none of mine. I don't want anything to do with it. The little lamb would try to nurse and the lamb, the mother lamb would push it away. He said, we thought we were going to lose them both. Thought we'd lose the little lamb. The mother was going to grieve. So somebody come up with the idea. Why don't we take the lamb that died and skin it and take the skin of that lamb and clothe the little lamb? He said, that's what we did. And we draped the skin of the dead lamb over the living lamb and then we put that lamb back in there with the mother lamb again. This time she took the lamb. She smelled it. And he said, it was almost as if she said, this is one of mine. And he said, H.A. Iron said, said, when I saw that lamb there, I thought, that's how I'm accepted in God. I am clothed in the garments of another. I have been accepted in the righteousness of another. I want you to know tonight, that's what a sacrifice is all about. They would bring that sacrifice to a priest, and someone would put his hand upon the head of that sacrifice. 
And when he put his hand upon that head, it was a symbolic act. It was symbolic of two things. The one that was offering the lamb would put his hand on the head of that lamb as if to say, I am putting all of my sins upon this lamb. I'm putting all of my guilt. Here's a lamb. He, this lamb is innocent. This lamb hasn't done one thing wrong. So I'm transferring my sins and I'm putting it upon the lamb. But it not only symbolized that he was putting his sins on the innocent one, but it also symbolizes that he was taking on himself the virtues of the innocent one. It was to be a lamb without spot. It was to be a lamb without blemish. And I want you to know a sacrifice, what a sacrifice means is that something innocent has died in my stead that my sins might be paid for and that I might be declared righteous in the innocent one's sacrifice. So that's what the sacrifice is all about. And now you have Jesus dying at the ninth hour. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament offerings, the Bible tells us they did them every year. They do it on the day of Passover. And then every day certain offerings were made. But once a year, that special day, they had the Passover. And the high priest would offer that lamb and offer those sacrifices to atone for the sins of mankind. But they came back one year later and did it again. And came back one year later and did it again. Because all that the sacrifices the Old Testament did was cover sin. It didn't completely remove sin. It made atonement until the next year and it had to be repeated and it had to be repeated and it had to be repeated. But now Jesus is dying at the ninth hour, at the hour of the evening sacrifice. He is dying as the eternal sacrifice not to cover sin but to cleanse sin for all of eternity. So when you find Jesus crying out, my God, my God, you see him becoming our sacrifice. But something else you see. You not only see him becoming our sacrifice, but you see him being our substitute. Now let me explain. Notice the ninth hour at 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the hour of the evening sacrifice. Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God. Now notice, why hast thou forsaken me? Now you put a circle around the word why for just a moment. Jesus said, God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now have you ever asked why? Has anything ever occurred in your life that you ask why? Lord, why did you let this happen in my life? Lord, why did you allow me to go through this? Why did you allow so-and-so to go through this? We've all at some time in our life been confronted with things that troubled our heart. And we all at one time or another have been confronted with things that disturbed us and we found ourselves in our own humanity crying out, Lord, why? That's a cry of humanity. That's not a cry of divinity. And you've got to understand something, that when Jesus was on the cross, he was God and he was man. He was the God-man. He was God of very God, but man of very man. You not only have God dying, but you have man dying. You have God dying for man. You have man dying for man. Now, the word why, it comes from the mouth of our Lord. That's not a question that a God would ask. That is a word of humanity. And when you find Jesus saying why, you see him in his humanity. You see him in flesh. 
You hear him as man. You see him as man. You see God now identified with man. He takes up our own ways and our own nature and he cries, why? Not a word of divinity, but a word of humanity. What do you see here? You see Jesus Christ being our substitute. Now think with me for two things, about two things. One, two things that are critical. One, I think about the purpose of the virgin birth. Now, there are not heads out there that don't believe in the virgin birth, but I want you to listen to me tonight. The virgin birth is not just a pretty story to tell at Christmas time. It is essential to our faith tonight as a believer. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, then there's not a one of us in this room tonight that would say, you know what the the purpose of the virgin birth was about? God had to come to this earth. Man had sinned. Now, man had to have a substitute. Man had to have somebody to die in his stead. He had to have someone to take his place. Well, you said, what about so? What about Moses? Why don't you call Moses out? He's a good man. And so you bring Moses up and say, the human race has sinned. Moses, you've been a great man. We want you to take the place of man and pay, be man's substitute. But the you, God of the universe would say, but no, you can't, Moses. You had your own failures. You had your problems. You guilty just like everybody else is. You can't take the place of guilty man because you've got your own sins to pay for. There's not a man on, the, on this earth in history could have died for man because a guilty person cannot die for a guilty person. One that is guilty has to pay for his crimes. Another that is guilty has to pay for his crimes. The only way someone could take their place if they were not guilty of the same crime. So Jesus was born of a virgin. You think as an accident? No, because if he had not been born of a virgin, he would have inherited human nature and a sinful nature just like we have tonight. And he could not have qualified to have been the Son of God and our substitute. The virgin birth was essential that first of all, he'd be given a body, but he had no earthly father. Therefore, he did not inherit sin. He's man, but he was man without sin. That was the purpose of the virgin birth. That led, second of all, to the provision of his vicarious death, his willingness to give himself, to die for us. And so when you come to the cross, you now see him in his humanity. You now see him as man. You see him on the cross dying as a man and dying for man. Now, he's man without sin, yes. Man that had never failed. Man that never grieved God. Man that never spoke one vile thing. But you find him not only becoming our sacrifice, but he's being our substitute. Now, listen to me. When you hear Jesus cry, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? You look and you see yourself on the cross. You see somebody that died in your stead. Now, would you listen to me tonight? You know what should have happened? Jesus became our substitute, and Jesus died in our stead. Aren't you glad of that tonight? So when he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At the ninth hour, he was becoming our sacrifice, but he was being our substitute. There's a third and a final thing. He was also bearing our sin the ninth hour the hour of the evening sacrifice he became my sacrifice he became my sacrifice as man my substitute dying in my stead 
But he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, I want to tell you how serious sin is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 said that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know what he's doing when he cries out, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? For one thing, he's bearing the totality of my sin. Won't you understand something? At that moment, every sin that I've ever committed in my 45 years and every sin that I'll commit the rest of my life was on Jesus Christ at that moment. Every one of my sin, every sin of my tongue, every sin of my thoughts, every sin indeed, whatever it is, at that moment, Jesus was bearing the totality of my sin. And not only that, he was bearing your sin as well. At that moment, he became sin. That hour Jesus bore my sin, he bore your sin. But he was not only bearing the totality of my sin, he was bearing the penalty of my sin. What the penalty of sin is, it is to be separated from God, to be cut off from God in this life and then cut off from God in eternal life. It means to die lost. It means to be lost. It means to go to hell. It means to be separated from God. Jesus was bearing my sin. He became sin, and in so doing, he bore the totality of my sin. He bore the penalty of my sin. He went to hell that I might not have to go to hell. He died that I might live and when you hear him cry out my god my god why is that why is thou forsaken me i want you to realize at that very moment jesus was bearing your sin and my sin cut off from god and bearing the wrath of god in his own soul so that we might not have to go through that ourselves that's what is happening there aren't you glad for that what is going on? Jesus is becoming our sacrifice. He is being our substitute. And he is bearing my sin. He's being separated from God. Give me this little story and I close. I remember reading years ago, I always enjoyed hearing Dr. Fred Brown. Many of you remember him. And I always enjoyed Dr. Brown, chapel, different things. He always had a good Bible message. And he always had good stories to tell. But he told a story about when he first got out of college back in, I believe, 1933, down in Mobile, Alabama, I believe it was, and he met a black fellow by the name of Cut Joe. Cut Joe was the last living black man that had come to America on a slave ship. So Fred Brown met this black man named Cut Joe. They talked a little bit and whatever, and Dr. Brown asked him if he was saved. The old black fellow looked at him and said, white boy wants to know if I'm saved. And he said, I want to know if you're saved. And he said, yes, I am. And Dr. Brown asked him how he knew. And this is what he did. He took a string. He looked around. And he found a string, put out a handkerchief, and then started acting like he was trying to push that string through that handkerchief. And he looked at Dr. Brown and said, can you push that string through that handkerchief? He said, no, I can't. He said, nobody can. And he said, President, 
smartest man, biggest man in the world. He can't even push it through that. And then the fellow looked at him and said, but I can. Dr. Brown said, you can? He said, I can. He said, hold on a minute. He went back in his little old house and he came out and he had a needle. And he run the string through the end of the needle and then he pushed it through the handkerchief and pulled it out the other side. He said, that's why I cut Joe Noe's safe. He said, Jesus is the needle and Jesus carries me through. Amen. Are you listening to me tonight? I'm going to heaven one of these days. And I'm not going to heaven because I can get there. I'm going to heaven because one day God's son was forsaken of God, bearing my sin, bore my hell, and he's the one that's carrying me through. Aren't you glad for that? Let's stand to our feet, please. Those who are going to be baptized can slip out. James, you can go right through that door there and up the steps, dressing room. Be ready in just a moment. Matthew 27, 46 reminds us of the tremendous cost of our salvation, that Jesus Christ himself became our sin, that he might die for our sin. Isn't that a great thought? And how you ought to love him, and how you ought to serve him, that he would love you that much. Let's bow our heads now for just a moment. Maybe there's someone here tonight that, has no hope of eternal life, no assurance of heaven. And you'd say, Brother Ken, I don't know that I'm saved, but I don't want to go to hell. I wouldn't want to go to hell. I don't want any chance of going to hell. Would you remember me tonight? Wouldn't it be one across the room? Just slip your hand up where I can see it and put it right back down. Let me pray for you. Wouldn't it be one? Then I assume that everybody in this building tonight believes they are saved and knows they are saved. Won't you realize tonight you're saved and what a blessing it is. But don't ever forget what it cost the Son of God. He became your sacrifice. He was your substitute. And He bore your sin. If it hadn't been for the cross, there'd be no salvation tonight. Tell you what I want you to do. Not just for Satan come in the altar, but I want you to do this. Because I think we get so callous and so rusty in our souls. We sing in just a moment and one stanza and that's all. I want you to get out of your seat, find your place down here, find your place in this old altar, and tell the Lord how grateful you are that he bore your sin, that he was your sacrifice, he was your substitute, love you enough to bear your sin, take your hell so you wouldn't have to go to hell, bear your sin so that you could have eternal life. Why don't you find your place and just get on your knees and take a moment to love him and worship him. Will you do that tonight? It do us good. Father, in Jesus' name, as the old songwriter said, we'll cherish the old rugged cross. And we'll cherish the rugged cross because of what it means to us. You became our sacrifice. You were our substitute. And you bore our sin. And Father, if you had not suffered to the extent that you did, we'd not have eternal life tonight. We'd all be in hell. But I thank you for what you did. And may you receive from our hearts tonight our gratitude and our praise, and our thanksgiving. Bless now, in Jesus' name, and for Jesus' sake we pray, amen. One stanza, and then I'm going to ask Aaron to come and lead us in prayer. I come. the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Come. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Yes. Find in me 
Tell the Lord that you're grateful for what He's done for you. Love Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. Adore Him. Yes. Yes. Sin had left a crimson stain. Absolutely. He you folks pray. Rick's going to sing another stanza. Aaron will lead us and close in prayer in just a moment. And when before the throne I stand in Him complete Jesus died my soul to save My lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Heavenly Father